This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, August 23rd. I'm Rob Bluey. Tonight is the first Republican presidential debate where eight candidates will square off in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. On today's show, I speak with former White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, host of The Sean Spicer Show, about what you can expect. Of course, the GOP frontrunner won't be among the candidates tonight. Former President Donald Trump opted to instead do an interview with former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Spicer and I talk about Trump's decision, who has the most to gain and lose in tonight's debate, and what issues might dominate the discussion. We also chat about Spicer's new independent media show. Be sure to follow all of our coverage at DailySignal.com. Stay tuned for my interview with Sean Spicer after this. The Heritage Foundation is the most effective conservative policy organization in the country. Every semester, our interns are a vital part of that mission. We pay competitively, we develop talent, and we give our interns access to some of the sharpest minds in the country. We're going on offense, so join us. To learn more about the Young Leaders Program here at the Heritage Foundation, please go to heritage.org intern. We're joined on The Daily Signal today by Sean Spicer. He's the former White House press secretary, a best-selling author, TV host, and the creator of the brand new Sean Spicer Show. Sean, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Rob. It's actually day two of the uh, Sean Spicer Show. We're excited. Uh, so wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, go to YouTube, you subscribe. So excited out here in Milwaukee, as you know, getting ready to, to see this debate firsthand. Well, congratulations. I was able to watch the first episode on YouTube. So uh, I'm a, one of your early subscribers. Encourage our Daily Signal audience to do the same. A fantastic show. Uh, I want to get into the details of, of that first show, what you heard on the ground there at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, but first, tell me why, um, after a successful run at Newsmax, you decided uh, to launch an independent media brand. Look, I think this is the wave of the future, Rob. I, I enjoyed my time. Uh, but corporate media has uh, a structure. I mean, you do, it's, you know, people always used to tell me like that, that they wanted me to do something on the show. And I said, yes, it's got my name on it. It was called Spicer and Company, but it wasn't my show. It was owned by the network. They could, they could tell me what to cover, what not to cover, who to have, who not to have. And again, that's, that's how it works. I'm not complaining. It's just reality. I think for me going into this election cycle where I've been at this for 30 years, um, being able to offer people insight into what's happening, why it's happening, how we can do so many of the things that you guys at Heritage talk about and protect and get those policies implemented. I thought it could be done through independent media a lot more effectively. Um, and so, you know, you look at the wave of the future, the, the Dan Bonginos, Tucker Carlson, Patrick but David, Tim Poole, uh, Dave Rubin, Liz Wheeler, all of these people, Dana Lash, uh, they're, they're all out there having conversations um, in a way that you can't necessarily have in, in a corporate structure. And I, I sort of looked at that and said, I think this is where it's going. You've got 32% of Americans now that get their, that have a cable or a satellite subscription. That's it. It's a dying medium. And my thought was I'd like to get ahead of the curve and no better time than an election cycle where I, I've been, I've done two presidential cycles. I've done my first campaign in the contract of America in 1994. Um, so I feel like I can explain this. And I, I yell at the TV when I'm watching these cable pundits. And I'm like, that's not how it works. That won't work. That's not effective. That's not how you can, you know, that you, you can't execute what you just said in a realistic manner. And so part of this was to be able to have um, a show where I can pull from that insight, bring in guests. For example, the day after the debate, we've already lined up with three operatives 
that are part of campaigns. So you can have pundits all day long tell you what they think is going to happen. My thought was, why don't we get people who are actually going to execute on what happens in that debate and ask them, hey, you had a viral moment last night. Are you? What does that mean for you? How much do you anticipate a balance, et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I kind of looked at it and said, I had an opportunity to go out and do something that, that I thought was more effective and more impactful. And, and Sean, who do you see as your target audience? If you, if, we have Daily Signal subscribers who are, are watching this. Are, are they the people that should be tuning into your show? Are you looking for people who are interested in the behind the scenes of the political game? Uh, tell us a little bit about who your target is. Yeah, look, the way I look at this is that I, I want people who who are, you know, when I got first got into politics, it wouldn't even make the news for a lot of times. They said we don't really discuss that. Now I think people talk about Donald Trump, Joe Biden, what it takes. Uh, I had a big conversation that air tonight on the show with the chairman of Wisconsin. Wisconsin was won by Donald Trump by 11,000 votes in 2015. Joe Biden in the books has it as a just shy of 21,000 vote win in 2020. My point is it's going to be a close election. What is being done to win a, the 10 electoral votes from Wisconsin? Number one. Number two, something that, that the team at Heritage talks about all the time. What is doing to protect the vote? What are we doing to make sure that those drop boxes just don't end up all over Milwaukee and Madison and La Crosse, Wisconsin all over again without any legal justification to allow that to happen. So my thought is, if you care about politics and elections and winning, then this is the show for you. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, existential stuff. This to me is, let's get in the weeds. Let's talk about the strategies that campaigns are using. Let's talk about the debates. Let's talk about the caucuses, the conventions, the primaries, the race for 270. But, you know, I tell people all the time, why shouldn't you care, you know, why they shouldn't pay attention to national polls? This election is coming down to eight states. Here they are. Here's what's being done to win them. Here's what we need to be on our lookout for. But too often, I, I will, like I just said a minute ago, I'm throwing stuff out of television because the, the reporters that cover this, they really don't know what they're doing. I mean, let's be blunt. None of them have been, you know, they, they got to sign something. They know as much as I do about like cardiothoracic surgery, which aside from watching an episode of ER is not much. So, I, I get part of what I want to do is bring people the inside look at a campaign. I ran the debate cycle for the RNC in 2015, the first time ever that a party ever actually controlled its primary process debates, ever. And you hear con pundits now talk on television as if that was always the norm. It wasn't. Until we did that for the first time in the 2015 debate, no party, the RNC or the DNC, had ever controlled it. And so I can actually bring insight into what it's like to run a debate that no one else that'll be there today on television has done. No one. There is no one that's going to go on television, cable news, or any other show that can say, this is what it takes. I did all of them for the RNC um, and worked with every one of the networks to pull it off. I can tell you what's going on right now behind the scenes. And I look at that and say, hey, let's have that conversation because no one else has. Um, and I, I think I can bring people a very unique perspective to the cycle from so many different angles. Like, like I said, I got friends of mine that can talk sports all day long, Rob. They can tell you batting averages, shot percentages, field goal percentages, who's up, who's down trades. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a fair weather fan. Uh, I love the Red Sox, the Patriots, whatever, but that's not my wheelhouse politics, government. That's what I know, uh, like the back of my hand. And, and I felt like this was the right cycle to jump in and, and explain it to people. And Frankly, the best part is that when I get feedback from people and whether they're, you know, on my website or locals, uh, which I'm on, which is like conservative Substack, um, that people will say, you know, I really want to hear more of this. And it's like, great, let's talk about it. 
when we do the show tomorrow before the debate and then after the debate, it'll be based on questions that people think are that they are they're interested in knowing how things went down. Um, and I can give a perspective that, you know, I, I was the guy that coordinated with Donald Trump for all of his debates. Um, so I know what you know, I can't say I know everything that's going into his thinking because anyone who tells you that's a liar. <laughs> but but I can give you some sense of what it's going to take for these candidates. Well, it is fantastic to have your voice in the mix. Uh, we are thrilled uh, that you're you're doing this. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate about at least the the early uh, going of, of your episodes is you're getting outside of Washington. You're talking to real people. You are at the Iowa State Fair. So tell us a little bit. What's the buzz in Iowa? What are you hearing there in Wisconsin ahead of this debate? Uh, what's on the mind of voters? So I think what's on the mind of voters, and it's a great question, Rob, because I think that there's a big difference between the, the mind of the media and what they want and what the voters want. And what I found both uh, out in Iowa and now here in Milwaukee is that there's a high degree of interest. Um, I think that there's no question that Trump is the 800 pound gorilla. Um, there are people willing to listen to another argument, but um, especially here in Milwaukee ahead of the debate, I think that it's fascinating that Trump is not gonna physically be here, but his presence is everywhere. That's all everyone's talking about. What impact is he have? How are the candidates going to to address or not Trump tomorrow night? Um, I spent especially heading into this Fulton County DA issue. There's going to be a lot of um, questions about how every one of these candidates positions themselves vis-a-vis -vis Trump and an attempt to grow voters. So I, that to me, and same thing when I was at the state fair, I talked to a lot of the Iowa elected officials. I talked to a lot of the fairgoers, trying to get their perspective because. It's amazing when you actually get outside the beltway, as you put it, and talk to people about what you think they're supposed to be saying. Because if you listen to some of the pundits and read, you know, the Politico and the New York Times, it's it's amazing what what the reality is versus what they tell you it is. Sean, one of the things that uh, that I saw you post on Twitter was a, a question to to your subscribers about who would get more views: the Fox yeah. debate. <laughs> or uh, Donald Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson, I, I couldn't help but notice 80% of your respondents said uh, that Trump would, would dominate uh, on Wednesday night. So what's going into his thinking? As you mentioned, you worked closely with him, not only in the White House, but before he, he was elected president. Uh, why did he decide to opt out of this, uh, this debate and go and do his alternative programming? Yeah, and first, I, I will say this. I, I think it's not just the first debate. I think there's no question the second debate on September 27th, the Reagan Library, he's out of that one as well. Uh, whether he keeps going, we'll see. But I think it's plain and simple. Look, again, this gets back to what I was just saying a minute ago, Rob. The, the media wants him there because they want to see a fight. They want ratings. The reality is Donald Trump uh, on the low end is about 50% in national polls for the primary and as high as closer to 60. And then in the early states, which really matters because at the end of the day, this is a delegate race, whether it's Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada or South Carolina, Trump is anywhere from the mid to high 40s to well over 50%. A lot of the candidates that are going to be on the stage tomorrow night, let's be honest, have to wear a name tag because no one knows who the heck they are. And I think from a Trump standpoint, um, you know, if you think about this in like a boxing mentality, is the, is the champ, the heavyweight title going to fight the guy that just got into the ring? No, he's going to wait till he moves himself up. Trump, I think, will have to debate at some point down the road. But right now, sitting on a stage with eight other people that have to wear name tags for you to know who they are because they barely qualify. I, I just think strategically speaking, take Trump out of this. Anybody that did that, I would have advised them against it. And so that's number one. Number two, I think there's a little bit of a, 
you know, the, of a counter programming piece to this, which is he likes to, he, he wants to needle Fox news a little bit, take Tucker, do an event, um, that, that kind of just shows them, Hey, you know, you can't do this without me. And I do think that, that the media is going to try to underplay how Trump does on Twitter and says, Oh, you can't count the same, but let's be honest. And this again is where I, I can bring the expertise into this. When, when you're rating networks or, or cable networks, um, it's, they use Nielsen. Nielsen says we put a box in a house and then say that every person who has a box and is on a station that counts for 25,000 other people. That's a guess. So them trying to claim that they have some proven scientific method is ridiculous. They're going to try to claim that whatever Trump's number is on Twitter with Tucker isn't the equivalent. And while that may be somewhat true, the reality is, is that I think he will far outdo uh, the overall eyeballs. It's probably a better way of putting it than than the Fox debate. So as for those people who do tune into the debate as an astute political observer like yourself, what are the things that they should be watching? Uh, you've mentioned the eight candidates. Obviously, there are a few that are household names at this point among Republicans. There are a few that are looking to really make their moment. What should we be paying attention to? So I think the strategy is going to be the, the key thing. Do they come out, if you're at 1% and 2 and 3%, um, are you coming out of the gate trying to increase your name ID and have people come away with a positive sense of who you are? Let me give you the example. I think Chris Christie has made it very clear he's got the kamikaze mission going where he's just going to come in and go at Trump. Here's my take on this strategically speaking. If Christie comes in, let's just say for hypothetical purposes that he's the most effective takedown of Donald Trump ever in the world. He takes down Trump. There is no guarantee that he's the beneficiary of that. So everybody says, hey, I agree with you, Chris Christie. Donald Trump is a horrible candidate. I'll never vote for him. I, so you've made the case. That doesn't mean that they're going to vote for Chris Christie. There's seven other people on that stage that could go down to him. So I would argue to a candidate, even if you come out swinging against Trump, has that benefited you? Number one. Number two, conversely, if you come out and make the case for yourself, and you're at 2% and a bunch of people say, I like you, and you double that from two to four, you've probably guaranteed you because if, if you make the case about you, your accomplishments, your vision for the future, your policy, and people agree with you, then they are going to benefit. It will benefit you. So I would argue, strategically speaking, it benefits Trump a lot more than it benefits. Uh, it, it, it helps them much more than it does uh, going after Trump. And so, I, again, we'll see because I don't think I think the media has tried to sell a lot of these people that the answer is to really go after Trump. And I think that's because that's who they want. Well, with that being said, who would you say which candidates have the most to gain and who has the most to lose coming out of this Wednesday night? So great question. Let me put it in a three tiers. Number one, I think Ron DeSantis has the most to lose. He has an opportunity to come out and reassure uh, donors in particular, because that's really what this is about for him, uh, that he is, he's got their message. He got, he's going to refocus, et cetera. So that's number two, number one, number two is I think Ramaswamy is the guy that I want to keep an eye on right now, tomorrow night to see he is focused on a very positive message a vision for the country, um, that that's devoid of attacking Donald Trump. And then I think the third category is who else, somebody else, one of those other sex going to have a moment. Uh, Nikki Haley is someone I would keep an eye on in particular because I, or Tim Scott. Um, and again, the key thing to keep in mind is that when you're at 4%, if you double yourself, if you get twice as much support, you're only at six. So 
you know, but but I think these guys realize it's baby steps to to ten or fifteen percent, and so I think those are the three categories that I look at. Does DeSantis hold his own, uh, or reassure donors that they're concerned about him? Number two, does uh, Ramaswamy get continue that upward climb that he's had? And three is who is that other person that I think people may not have given a lot a big look at? Because remember. For a lot of these folks, this is the first time they're going to be in an audience of millions of people. You go on a Sunday show, that's great. This is I, my guess is that you're looking at you know anywhere from twelve to fifteen million people that watch this debate. In terms of the topics that we can expect uh, the the moderators, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum, to ask about, is it going to be focused on Trump's indictment? Is it going to be focused on Joe Biden, or will it be a discussion of the policy debates that are taking place in the conservative movement right now? Well, I think the first two are definite. There's definitely, I mean, Brett Baer and Martha have given some interviews where they've said they're going to choose Trump. I, I think that the bigger question that I I find is how much? Is it one or two questions or is it 10? Um, number two is, I think, how much time does get spent on Biden? But I think both of those categories will be covered. And then number three is, and this is where I think you put your finger on this. Do they ask questions that grassroots conservatives care about? Movement conservatives, as Kevin Roberts there likes to talk about. Um, and that's what I'm intrigued by, because I think for a lot of folks in the media, they want to talk about Donald Trump and abortion. And I don't know that there's a single candidate on the stage tomorrow night that isn't pro-life. So there are some nuances in terms of a federal federal law and a six-week ban or whatever. But that shouldn't be a 20-minute discussion point. Um, and so I think how much conservative issues, how much do we talk about China, the buildup of the Amer uh, of the border, immigration, things that I think movement conservatives really care about right now um, will be important, protecting our vote, things that people actually care about that are differentiators, right? And I think that that's the key thing is that there's a bunch of issues, like I said, I think for abortion and life issues, uh, almost everyone, I don't think there's a single candidate on the stage tomorrow night. I mean, Christie's obviously probably on the more moderate end of that scale, but I think every one of the candidates would at least say that they they um, are a defender of life and a protector of life. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what, what that balance is that shakes out among the questions the moderators ask. And frankly, the, the bigger point that I think you're getting at is beyond tomorrow night's debate, where, where else does this go? I'm very concerned about who some of the hosts could be for these debates and some of the moderators. Um, and I think that's why the RNC went with Fox Business for the second one, because they're going to run out of foxes. I mean, I don't know, maybe they go to Fox Nation next, but I think there's only so many foxes that you can hit before the CNN. I mean, they, they, the only people they really interviewed were Fox, CNN, MSNBC, ABC. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen independent media play a much bigger role in the cycle. Um, yeah, no, that's a, a fair point. And I think uh, in, in some respects, Fox itself is going to be uh, on on the uh, you know uh, this under some scrutiny from those movement conservatives you talk about. I mean, who have some skepticism, obviously, after the cancellation of Tucker Carlson, and you know maybe trending in some other other directions, including to shows like yours, because they they view Fox as uh, either too big or too corporate, and and want to uh, seek out alternatives. So, in, in some ways, Brett and Martha have a lot a uh, lot to gain or lose uh, in this respect as well. I, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. I, I think that there's a lot of people that are going to you know, have to watch because that's where it is. That's where the game is. But at the end of the day, this is a test for Fox um, to see how much they have tried to kowtow to, to 
you know, corporate America and wokeism by by talking about abortion over and over again? Or do they really try to put their finger on the pulse of where the conservative movement is and issues that they care about? I, I think you're right. This is going to be a big test for for the network as well, post Tucker. Well, speaking of independent media, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, given your experience working in the White House, we you were always so gracious uh, when you were press secretary to give the Daily Signal an opportunity to ask questions. Fred Lucas, my colleague, uh, was was there on a consistent basis, uh, not only uh, during the Trump administration, but starting with the Biden years and starting with the Obama years and continuing in through the Biden years until just recently when the White House has changed its rules for accessing a hard pass, uh, which is that credential that you can get to attend the briefing. And so Fred was one of 442 reporters who lost their passes. What's your take on the White House's rule change? And uh, what does it mean for outlets like ours and others who uh, no longer have that access? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad that you're continuing to call attention to it. I know that you guys at the Daily Signal have been at the forefront of, of making this issue uh, reminding people that so let me let me just start by saying when I was at the White House I had the opposite view I let more people in than, than anything else I brought people in through Skype talk radio journalists that couldn't access the White House this is something that I think that's so funny because the the folks that cover the White House love to wrap themselves in the First Amendment and talk about it unless it's not them and the, the reality is they don't really care about the First Amendment as much as they care about themselves if they get a question if they can attend the briefing and frankly I think they love the fact of making sure that there are fewer voices, especially like the Daily Signal and Fred Lucas, because then you have to take their word. If Fred can ask a question, if Fred can insert real reporting and coverage, then it, it undermines their ability to control the narrative. Um, I am unbelievably disappointed in, and not, not shocked, just disappointed, uh, at the lack of coverage that the media gave to this. They're so quick to talk about and, and wave a flag when a journalist is is attacked and and I, I and I don't have a problem with that but I'm saying it's funny how the second that the white house shuts out anybody who's not part of the corporate legacy left wing media they keep their mouths quiet there was no outrage from the washington post to the new york times kelly o'donnell from nbc news who's the third string reporter that is now president of the white house correspondent association said absolutely nothing they will all have their big dinner, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and hang out with all the celebrities and talk about the First Amendment and the freedom of the press and transparency and access, unless it's somebody else. And so I, I just I, – I cannot believe the silence and the complicity that so many of the folks in the White House press corps exhibited when Fred lost his pass. And as you said, 400 other people lost their ability for what? What was the harm? They went through a security check. Fred Lucas is there every single day uh, and, and others. And yet some of these other clowns barely show up. But because they're part of NBC News or the Washington Post or the New York Times, well, we'll, we'll take care of them. And I just I, – again, I, the, the profound disappointment is unbelievable because I remember so many times when they couldn't get access to something and they cried crocodile tears and they were so up, you know, up in arms about everything that's going on. And yet here we have, and I get it. There's, if, if, if you haven't been, I mean, some of the people of the 400 hadn't been in forever. I get the need to potentially look at who's getting it, but for a Fred Lucas or some of these other people who were there day and day, there were also just as a side note, there was a woman named Martha Kumar who was a historian, um, who documents everything that goes on in the White House press briefing room. She is somebody that reporters themselves look to sometimes to, to um, have a historical perspective. She doesn't. She's not part of some big corporate legacy media. So 
what all of these people who served, I think, a greater good got shut out of the process. And um, and again, it's just it's a pattern. They all whine about Republicans. And yet, whether it was the Obama administration coming after some of them personally, you know, they weaponized the DOJ, went after James Rosen. Uh, and now you have this going on. They, they are so interestingly quiet when it's not themselves. It's disappointing, Sean. Thank you for taking a strong stance. We we certainly appreciate the efforts that you made when you were press secretary. And we're not done. We're uh, we're going to continue to fight this thing. Uh, Fred is not giving up, and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll keep pursuing it. A couple final questions for you on the show. Uh, again, it's the Sean Spicer Show. It's available on YouTube, Rumble, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Uh, give us a preview about some of the things that are coming up in the in the days ahead. Some of the guests maybe you have uh, lined up for the show. So tonight uh, we mentioned we've got the Wisconsin state chairman. Now, why is that important? As I said, Wisconsin, 10 electoral votes last time barely uh, went into Biden's column. But what are they doing to change that? What is this strategy? How are we going to prevent drop boxes from appearing? What are they doing to recapture those 10 electoral votes uh, among the eight critical states that I see? Uh, Tomorrow night, we're obviously going to be at the debate. We're going to cover we're going to talk to Jason Miller from the Trump campaign about what Trump's strategy is. They're not allowing his surrogates in the spin room. What are they going to do to get their mat to their word out? Uh, so we will we will look at it from that perspective. We've got a bunch of the super PAC representatives on the day after the debate where we are going to break down their strategy. What did they see at the debate? What are they going to do about it with all this money that they're bringing in to benefit their candidate? Um, so, you know, as we go forward, then next week, try to get ahead of the curve. Obviously, this Fulton County. Uh, indictment against Trump. What does it mean for his legal case? We've got some top lawyers that we're already looking at to get on to explain the legal case and the political ramifications. Rob, I think part of this is is that this is a bigger ploy. The Democrats are doing everything they can to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. And I think we, you know, you asked you earlier, what are we, what are we trying to do? I'm trying to give people an understanding of what's going to, what's going to happen down the pike, how we can stop it, how we can have our voices heard, but also like how we can effectively uh, be part of the process. Because I think too often I see someone, it's almost like watching someone flail in a pool where it's like, okay, you're, you're making motions, but you're not actually swimming. And part of what we want to do is help people navigate the waters here. That's great. And Sean, uh, finally, what are the, what's the best way for our audience to, to follow you, things that you're saying, follow the show, other things that you have going on in your world? So if you want, if you're just interested in the show, uh, go to SeanSpicerShow.com. That has all the links. So if you're a Spotify person or a podcast, and just as a, as a selfish self selfish uh, plug, the more places you subscribe, it's super helpful. I mean, that's where I think the independent media. So if you are a podcast person, please go to Apple Podcasts. And then if you can go to YouTube and subscribe to the channel, as you mentioned, you get to see the audio version. We're on a channel called The First, um, it, which if you have direct TV, is 347. We're with O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, and Dana Lash. Um, and so all just subscribing is super helpful. There's one last quick plug for, for if you, if, if I can tomorrow morning, um, and the day after the debate, we're hosting something called debate prep that I just called that. But Mark Halperin, who's a journalist has covered a lot of these elections and governor Scott Walker, who was a, uh, candidate and two-term governor of Wisconsin. So we're going to have a, just literally a conversation on zoom that anybody can go to is seanspicer.locals.com. Uh, where you can go and get the information to sign up. It's a Zoom that you can get on. Uh, we're limiting it to a couple hundred people the first day or two, but um, just for tomorrow and just for the day after. The idea is to give people any insight. I put the debates together. Mark's covered in 
Governor Walker participated in them. So the idea was, let's give something that no one else can in terms of that kind of persuasion. But um, again, so if you go to, to my locals page, which is just seanspicer.locals.com, there's information how you can get get a sign up for that. And and I just think I'm excited because this is like, you know, uh, you know my, my Christmas, if you will, politically speaking. I, I love this stuff and uh, I love the minutia of it. And so part of it is to have fun and be able to bring people into it. Well, I, was, I wish I could be there in uh, in Milwaukee Good. with you. Uh, Kevin Roberts, our president, will will be there. He's speaking at the Young America's Foundation block party, which, of course, Scott Walker is the president of Young yep. America's Foundation. So we'll have a Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal presence on the ground there with you. Uh, best wishes. We hope to have you back again soon to talk about the show. And uh, again, it's uh, the Sean Spicer Show. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you haven't had a chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed, where we bring you the top news of the day. Also, make sure you subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach more listeners by leaving a five-star rating and review. We read all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. We'll be back with you at 5 p.m. for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.